Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Mike. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. And I'm Jesse, and we're coming at you with some milkshake energy. Yes! I knew it was going to come sometime. We should have taken, like, like bets on it. Like, would it be first, second, or third time through? It would be... I mean, it has to come up eventually. Like, part of... I guess I forgot to mention part of my nostalgia for There Will Be Blood is after I saw it the first time, then I finally was able to say, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> and I drink knew it where up. that was from. I drink my straw. Which is all the way across the room. Don't bully me, Daniel. Don't bully me, Daniel. <laughs> for years, Letney and I would be saying this to one another <laughs> as we were moving together. It was great. I remember that. that was, those are good times. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we are here again today to talk about three classic, three new classics, three of the newer classics of the last 20 years, of the, of, of the, new, the new millennium. The three westerns, uh, Not Your Father's Movies. Nope. I'm not talking about Not Your Father's Movies. We are Not Your Father's Movies. <laughs> no Country for Old Men. There Will Be Blood. And The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Or old Bob. Uh, this is our second episode in this series. Last week we talked about cast and crew. We talked about our nostalgia. There's a lot of deep nostalgia for these movies. We were all coming up and entering, you know, adulthood or beginning to enter adulthood, coming to the end of our youth when these movies came out, and they shaped they shaped our views on cinema. At least they did for me. Maybe I'm putting some words into into your mouths, but I'm gonna go ahead and, and say that that's what you all think. I think it definitely. For all of us, for positive or negative, yeah. shaped our views, right? It, it mm-hmm. definitely did. Yeah. yeah, that's what it sounded like after. And we're also doing West, this so. because it's my it's birthday. Your birthday. I've that's got a right. whole month for my birthday. It's <laughs> pretty awesome. You're very spoiled. I'm this, really. This spoiled. new format has really favored you. <laughs> when I was mm-hmm. 22, um, I got all my college friends to celebrate me for a month. Every every night, I'd say, "Hey, you don't want to go out tonight? It's my birthday month. You have to go out." <laughs> they did because they were idiots, as was I. So we're doing the same thing here, but with a podcast. Um, it's great. I am happy about it, and, and I'm you usually, are too. I'm usually known as the birthday diva, so I've been I've been out diva, which I didn't think would happen. It only happens once every ten years. Oh, I see. I see. When the inner diva comes out, when the or mm. when the inner diva comes out, I guess it's on the twos. I'm turning thirty-two, by the way. Uh, so that's that's that's. Nobody that. likes you when you're thirty-two. Yeah, I know. Seriously, like, like, what else do I have, guys? What else do I have? All right, so this week, what we're talking about is what we liked about these movies, what we didn't like, where we think that they could have been better or worse. Kind of talk a little bit about some of the questions we might have on plot, on characters, and we're going to try, we're going to try to wrap it up. I don't know, this is a lot to talk about in like an hour. We're going to try to wrap the conversation up by talking about when or will or if we show it to our kids, how we're going to do that. Um, I promise to be as concise as possible. All right. All right. Uh, I don't. So <laughs> we never have. Let's get it going. So, um, so I guess like starting off with, with maybe favorite scenes or, or favorite of these three movies, do you have like one scene or one moment or something that stands out to you um, above all else where you're like, that is just the moment of the three movies. Dan. Oh boy. So favorite scene of the three yeah, movies. Favorite scene of the three movies. Oh boy. A pop quiz. Honestly, it'd probably be There Will Be Blood. And I'm going to say the the entire sequence with when he first starts building 
the big was it Derek or whatever the big yeah. uh, pump yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the town. There's this one scene where they they play a symphony. I, I forget. I think it's Brahms or something. And they 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 play that that piece of music, and they're showing the building of this of this huge massive structure that's gonna you know pump oil and make everybody rich, and and then it's followed very quickly with with the pump exploding and it's it lights on fire and his son loses his hearing and it's extremely jarring and scary and all that the character can say is we're you know we're standing on a like there's there's an ocean of oil under our feet and he is just thrilled right his son just almost died and permanently lost his hearing that we we soon later find out and it's it's such a an incredible kind of contrast between like just how it looks so amazing it looks such like like such a feat that we're building this this structure and we're able to pump this out and and make money and make everybody rich and then it's like it's you know the title of the movie there will be blood like this this will lead to a violent end Mm. and one of the that's one of the like weird music choices or weird soundtrack choices that i really love is when he's carrying his son away from the the flaming oil explosion yeah. and you hear this like it's like really weird it's percussion so stressful. it's like and, it's it's percussion that's like slightly off <laughs> yeah it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel right and i have my personal opinion about it i i think it always it's always sounded like money bags clinging back and forth yeah. and i've always thought that maybe it's almost yeah. like that's what's going through his mind is like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. Even though he's carrying his son, you know, who just almost died. He, it's like, all he's thinking about is the money. And um, I, anyways, that, that whole series of scenes in the movie, I absolutely yeah. love. It's probably what I've turned the movie on every time for is like, I want to get to that part. Cause I just love the way it does uh, those series of scenes. And uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the most, chilling parts of of that movie is he's just watching you know the flames burst up into the air and his right hand man looks over at him and says is hw okay he stares at the flames without turning to the guy and just says no he isn't it's like what what is wrong with you daniel you could like you could be running to him and said you're you sit till morning watching these flames and his right hand man like this obviously runs to the HW because he's in pain and suffering. Yeah. 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 It's a crazy scene. Mm-hmm. That scene's incredible. Um, the way that like, it's a blue sky day. Like it's beautiful. Like the world is new. And then suddenly like it turns into hell. Like yeah. the, mm-hmm. the oil starts falling. And like, we've, we've been led to believe like this is going to be incredible. Like this is going to be great to, for the town. And we're, we're, it's like, we're getting taken for the ride that, that Daniel Plainview has taken all the, all the people on and then like we watch like he's this is i was just thinking of bill the butcher here because he's just like he's got the big old like mustache or whatever and he's mm-hmm. just covered and he's like oh, like there's an ocean of oil under us it's like leaning yeah. over but like as he's running with with the with hw what i was noticing this time is like it's almost like he can't like as he's right re- he can't run away from he he's always like it's almost like he's getting it, it's shot in a way that makes it feel like he's getting closer to the oil derrick like he's unable to to pull himself and his son away from it which i thought was was kind of neat like it was it was really 
like he's orbiting shot. it or something. Yeah, he's orbiting it and he's getting closer to it even even mm-hmm. though like we know we're getting, he's getting away. It looks like that. Yeah. The rest of the movie is dark in a similar way. It's like that oil cloud covers it all. Yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah, that's a great scene. What about you guys? So of the three, well, I guess I said the assassination of Jesse James had the best cinematography I've ever seen. And the, one of the most stunning scenes I've ever seen is, this, is the train scene. When the train shows up in the middle of the night, you see the rocks like vibrating yeah. against, the, against the track as it's coming and it's just pitch black. Zooming in on this darkness, like all of the robbers are holding lanterns and it zooms in away from them. It's just it's dark. And suddenly you see the train and the train starts coming and the camera hooks onto the train as it starts like coming towards you. And then it flashes to like all, all the gang members who are all wearing like like KKK sort of hoods on them, like demented hoods. Like they just look like ghost creepy guys who are about to like rob this train and Jesse James. Just goes to the front of the train as it's like slamming on the brakes and sparks are flying everywhere. And he stands at the top of this bear that they've erected. And the steam that comes from the train just envelops him as he's walked away from it. And you get this perfect shot of him in front of the light. And then there's a scene right after that of like, of like emerging from the steam. It's, it's a glorious scene. It's uh, incredible. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, like just just the the dramatic effect of it all, and just how harrowing they make a, a train robbery look. Which you know, you, we've seen train robberies in movies before. I've never seen it look like this. I've never seen it look scary and intimidating, and intimidating, and also have Jesse James look like a mythological figure and also superhuman at the same time. And then there's that like crazy scene that happens later when he's trying to open the safe and there's a guy in there, and then. He threatens to kill him and then beats him and then is about to pull the trigger and someone has to shout, no, don't do that. And he kind of realizes this mythological person is also a psychopath. It's doing a crazy amount of things right here that I I, I don't think I've fully absorbed, but it it's amazingly shot. That that's my runner-up scene. Yeah. I yeah. it's it's the image that from that movie that stayed with me the longest is is him with the lantern. Um, walking through the steam on the side of the train like yeah. that yeah yeah that that it's, sequence it's is, is so so good that now that i've seen the movie twice i'm like man it doesn't get that good again <laughs> damn it <laughs> it just stayed right there it doesn't it shouldn't have gone anywhere <laughs> man that scene is so good yeah I, there there's a couple other scenes in there like there's a scene where he's like riding away from the sunset and the whole screen is perfectly divided by yeah. by a hill, and some and of the snow a, stuff is really beautiful. Or where he's like advancing towards towards the house of uh, I can't remember what the Dillahunt's name house? is. And, whose house? Dillahunt's house, like the sick guy, or uh, I can't like one of wow. the gay members that he kills. Yeah, that the yeah. guy. Yeah, Dillahunt's. I think so. Guy. Yeah, and he's looking out, and it's just like he's looking through a frame. Looks like a frame within a frame almost because it's, the way... it's the it's the John Ford thing that he yeah. did with yeah. John Wayne all the time. It's like we got to put John Wayne in a doorway. Got to do it every time. It's <laughs> it's really good that and you see him on the horizon and then it flashes forward and he's like right there. Like it just it's iconic. It's kind of classic, but it also is it's sort of new. Like I've never seen something 
quite like this all put together. And then I guess I also got to shout out like all the all the narrator scenes where they do the lens effect where the light is refracted, so it's like blue and dreamy, red, and it's hazy on the outside but totally centered, where it looks like an old old documentary footage, like something I would get from a Ken Burns documentary with that same sort of narration. It, it was really cool. Yeah, amazing. Favorite scene: the train. Cool. What about you? Uh, what, that, what, that was your runner-up. What's your What's your up? I've been I've been debating, and I think uh, just for personal nostalgia and overall effect, it's going to be the final scene in No Country. Oh, nice! That's my runner-up. Oh, nice! Mm. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was between this or the uh, the the scene in There Will Be Blood where Daniel is talking to his his brother, yeah. where he doesn't want any other winners. But no, mm. the the discussion that when Ed Tom Bell is telling his wife about the dream that he had about his father. And we've had the, some of the narration from him throughout, you know, he introduces the movie and I spent a long time as a teenager going over and over and over in the book. Cause the book was all I had um, going over and over what it meant. And then go, once I read the road, which I believe came out in 2009 yeah. and kind of the thematic continuity between that book and no country was really striking. And it's something that I still think about a lot. Just the the image of the the father going forward into the into the wilderness into the blizzard, right, with the horn of fire, and he knows that he's out there somewhere waiting for his son to catch up to him. It was something that was that was so deeply impactful for me as someone who has complicated dad stuff. The idea, though, that you have a forebear that's supposed to kind of not pave the way, but light a lantern for you, you Wait know, for guide you. guide you yeah. into the afterlife yeah. in a way. Yeah, uh, it was it was really deep. And meaningful and i think it's it's mm. it's an image that is beautiful here it's actually fully complete in the road but it's enough that after you've kind of come through this movie uh, about greed and capitalism and fate and death at the end of it you have death but it's not the scary kind of death that that Shigur offers it's a different kind it's the the, the death of mm. the old man the one who's who's always thinking about where he fits in the world and how he doesn't really feel like this is for him anymore I think it's it's surprisingly wise and very profound, and it's a point of view that I think that unless you were to sit and listen to your grandfather talk for a long time is not one that you'd really get, you know? And it's only because the sheriff has seen this lifetime of violence and has now seen two instances where there was evil he couldn't comprehend that now he's been brought to this pass and he's reflecting upon everything that's come before, and the only thing left is death. I think it's a lot. I think it's beautiful. It's something that I don't, you know, I, I have nothing revelatory to say. It's just something I think about all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think about the ending to No Country for Old Men constantly. Yeah, it's yeah, my favorite that, scene. That horn of fire, man, that's that's on my mind all the time, too. Yeah. That's cool. That's really yeah, cool. That, yeah, I think, I think that's all that's all really striking and really there. But one thing that's always like really troubled me about the scene is when he says, and then I wake up. He's not dead yet. I guess I I always took that to mean like that that was a the idea that there could be like a forebear going before me like lighting the way like making sure that I I know where to go is is like a myth it's it's a dream the reality is I it's just me I think it can be read that way I I don't read it that way and that's that's why I loved it so much is because uh, and that's why I also mentioned the road as well because the road is a much more hopeful ending that uses the same oh, yeah. imagery mm -hmm. um, in a way that feels very purposeful. And so I, 
I, is this book, is this story, is this movie nihilistic? I think so. But I think it's also confused. Like the movie's not confused, but the characters are confused at the evil. They're bewildered. They're horrified by it. Right. And I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know. If, I don't think I would say that, that at the end, Sheriff Ed Tom doesn't believe in it anymore. I think he's seen a lot of old myths be taken away and a lot of things he doesn't understand, but he's still there. I mean, he's telling his wife this story and he still has a life and he's kind of reflecting on all the bad choices that were made. And he says in the opening monologue too, he's, you know, he's, he's not really sure if he can do this anymore. He says, uh, I think a man would have to put his soul at hazard and I won't do that. I think now maybe that I never would. And that's why I think it's more hopeful yeah. is that he's, he's not willing to hazard his soul. So that that's that's my reading, and that's that's why I think that. I, I guess another another way I saw it was like he's unwilling to hazard his souls. Like he's, he's like he wants to hold on to those dreams, and it's getting too hard to. The more the more terrible things he's seeing, the more he's realizing that there's just things that his fathers could never could never give him. Go ahead. That this is this is all he has. So that that's another way I I guess I had interpreted it. Was that scene a little bit earlier in the in the movie? Um, like I think it's after all the shit's gone down, and he goes to visit. Is it his brother or mm-hmm. um, the guy with the yeah. cats? Yeah, yeah. And they're talking, and uh, he he says the, to his brother, "Like I've I've just never seen anything like this before. Like the world's the world's going to hell in a handbasket." His brother says, tells him the story about their uncle who was a U.S. marshal, and one day. Uh, you know, like six or seven men that he had been hunting just right up and gun him down. This, none of this is new. None of it's like this evil's mm-hmm. always been here. I thought that was interesting because this is constant refrain from uh, from Sheriff Ed Thomas, like, oh, like the world's worse than it's ever been. Uh, and then we're finally like, like, well, is it? Is it actually worse than it's ever been? Or do you just and finally what does realize that mean? what everyone knew all along? Yeah, and or or and like, and are are you just? Have you just reached this point where you can no longer like can no longer contend with it, Put where your it. soul is at risk if you go back out there? I I don't know if that like elucidates anything at all, but it does like I feel like it it for me it makes the my thoughts go in a different direction about what's going on with Sheriff Ed Tom and what what he's uh, that he's like actually a person or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the, I the title sense. itself, "No Country for Old Men," I I've always thought was very fitting for kind of like a context to go in with to understand this movie of like this. Th- there is no place of peace for for someone that sees the true evils that men are capable of. Like you, you're never going to if you really saw all the evils going on, if you were a sheriff that has lived his entire life in relative peace and, you know, dealing with, you know, your coffee order, getting messed up every day. Like if, if the evils that you saw were, were small, your entire life, you might grow up and think, right, this world's pretty great. And you know, what's the big fuss, but the moment that you come across evils that, are beyond your imagination, right? You can become a nihilist or a pessimist or despair. But what he's saying is like, it's almost like no country for old souls is the way I've thought of it is like somebody that has 
experience the evils of this world, the shigurs of this world, you know, what should our response be? And, and yeah, that final scene where he's, he's discussing this dream he had is, I also think it's a hopeful note mm. um, in the movie where he's holding on to a, a hopefulness, an optimism, or at least some sort of like beauty in his life that he wants to aspire to. And despite all the evils, right? Like ignoring evils or not knowing of evils is never a virtue. It's really once you know the evils and you reject them or, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or fight them, that's when the true virtue comes out. And, and the fact that he's coming to grips with these, these, you know, insane psychopathic killers, this is when his true grit and his true virtue is being tried. And that's, that's how I've always seen the movie is like, yeah, it's, is it, it, it's not like it's this clear cut, hopeful note that, that makes me feel good at the end. And that you could definitely make the argument that it should have been more of that, that there should have been a more hopeful note at the end. And I, I definitely be willing to listen to that, but I, I've always thought that it's, it's at least dealing with this question of despairing in the face of evil delicately and new nuanced and like really making me think about these questions and that that's what I've loved about it. So question for you, do you know, um, do you guys know where the title comes from? There's like a poem or a book or something like that. There, right? There's a poem by, uh, uh, William Butler Yeats, um, called sailing to Byzantium. Oh, that's it. And the first line of it, that is no country for old men. And he goes on to describe sort of a Byzantium of dreams. It's not like like Byzantium, which is uh, Istanbul now. But it's like... Mm-hmm. It's, I thought it was Constantinople. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> the idea that he's expressing with it is that like what Byzantium sort of represents in, in the poem is um, a place where there are young people who are laughing and learning and and he's an old man now, and he uh, he wishes that he was he still had the fire of youth to enjoy life, for the uh, to like seek you know music and the birds sing and stuff. But where he is, like, there's no birds singing. There's none of that. He's an old man. He's a he's a like a there's like a rag on a stick or something like that, which I think is fascinating because it's describing the country that it is no longer for for him. Describing it as a place of youth and joy and beauty, which is not the country that that is no longer at Tom Bell's. It is it's no country for him because he no longer is capable of like handling the uh, the evil of the world. Yeah, cause, yeah, because in the opening, this is this is not extra textual. They cut some of this out for the opening right. monologue, but he mentions in the opening monologue in the movie that there was the the, the boy who killed that fourteen year old girl. Right. And he puts him in the electric chair, right? And the book kind of says a little bit more. He just says that uh, it, it ain't just being older. I wish that it was. I can't even can't say that it's even what you are willing to do, because I always knew that you had to be willing to die to even do this job. That was always true. Not to sound glorious about it or nothing, but you do. If you ain't, they'll know it. They'll see it. I think it is more like what you are willing to become. I think that's 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 the that's when he realizes, I guess the title of the book, right? Or the title of the, the thing. I'm sorry. I'm using the book because I don't have the screenplay in front of me. I wish I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. be- but it, it's, the, the movie is basically just a shorter book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't yeah. add much. It's it's the book Hemingway. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which is amazing because the book is quite terse. Yeah, it's not. But I think that's 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 the country he's seeing now, right? Yeah. He, the country didn't change. He's he changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think you're right about that. Um, I don't know. I like that. I I don't feel like any of that is like like oh Jesse like like I disagree with you, but I don't know. Maybe more. Yeah. Than, like it, it's weird because I'm hearing you guys say all this, but I'm still not seeing him say anything different from from what I what I, what I think he's saying. Yeah. Uh, because even if he's he's the one coming to realize what the country really is, like he's trying to give up the old fanciful ways that he used to live the way he used no, to say I don't, things. I don't think they're fanciful. He's just saying, I used to be the guy that could stand up and look in those eyes. And now I'm not. Now I'm an old man. That's, that's, I'm that's literally what he's days. saying. He's like, I used to be able to deal with these fiery prophets of destruction. And now I can't, now I won't. Now it's dangerous to me. And that's why I think he's looking on, hopefully to passing on to the next world is because like, like I said, the, the country didn't change. He did. And he is no longer willing to put those chips up, right? So I don't see it as negative. I just, he's passing away. And he has this dream of his father going before him. And maybe his father already made this realization. I think that's what's implicit in his, in his vision. He's just doing well, what his father did. You know what? I, I would like to talk about this more, but we also have to move on with the episode two, because this is going to be oh. safe for episode three of the trilogy, <laughs> right? That's true. That's We're right. getting to episode that's three. Right. Oh, I have a favorite scene. scene. Yeah. What's my favorite scene in all three of these beautifully shot, uh, incredibly deep movies? Um, that is the question. Are you vamping? It's the coin flip. <laughs> it's the coin flip scene. Which one? The one where... Uh, which one, friendo? Which one, friendo? <laughs> in the gas uh, station. Get a lot of rain up your way, the gas station scene. <laughs> which way is that? Don't, don't, don't put it in your pocket where it will get mixed up with all the other coins. <laughs> that is a great it's a lucky coin. That's, that's that scene. Uh, I didn't know he had a British accent. Yeah. Okay. You know what? <laughs> I love. I love, I love you, that. I love it. He's like Shigur is such a dick. He's yeah. such an asshole in this scene. It's like, so great. Just going it's back amazing. and forth. He's like. He's like. What time do you close? He's like about dark. He <laughs> says now. 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 Now is not a time. What time do you close? Yeah. <laughs> and do you live out back? You live. You live behind the house. Yeah. <laughs> What time do you, you get married to into it? And then he keeps <laughs> saying, like, you married <laughs> into that? Yeah. You were asking me if anything is wrong. Yeah, you're asking me if there's you, anything wrong with something. What, what, are, you, what are you asking? He's so, so pissed off at this guy. He wants to kill him so badly. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so amazing. And, uh, and he yeah, just, I, like, he, it's like he looks down on him in a very like almost arrogant way there's like an arrogance about him where he think he always believes he's the smartest person in the room yeah and he's willing to do anything and kill anybody right because, so he's like an yeah. unstoppable force that's a genius to a certain extent because this guy is like just kind of naive and just kind of nice yeah, and it seems he's, like he's just he's an old guy who runs a gas station. Like yeah. he's a nobody. He's he married into conversation. Yeah. You married into yeah, it. Yeah, he married into it. He married into it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so good. That is a great scene. Yeah. Get, I, a, get I, any? Get a lot of rain up your way. And what way is that? Yeah. <laughs> You're a bit so deaf, good. aren't you? You're a bit deaf. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I, I love this scene and like the idea. I don't know. We were talking about this a little bit before um, before we started the episode, but. Um, 
the idea of the coin, like the coin where he says, you know, like you can't put that in your pocket. It's your lucky coin. And then he says, well, what do I do with it? Oh, you got to hold on to it. Otherwise it will become, it'll get lost and it'll become just like all the other coins, which, which it, is. it is like that. I don't know that idea, that little like sort of throw off line. That's, that seems like a very Cohen line, right? Like to just like sort of, sort of negate all of the sort of deep ideas about like this coin being important. Um, it, they said in like one line what it took yeah. him a paragraph to get to. Like he, <laughs> Sugar has a whole paragraph that he speaks and the Coens are like, just don't put it with the other ones. It'll be like that one, which it is. All right. Which it is. And that's like the, the idea, not, right? Like he's giving you yeah. the two things. It's just a coin, but it's really, really, really important to you. You bought, you bought your life with this piece. Yeah, but and the also, idea of, yeah. of the import, both like the importance and like the the necessity, like like he says later on when he's talking to uh, to Carly Carla Jean Carla Jean Carla Jean. She asks him like like and how did you get here? Well, he says something like I got here the same way the coin did. Mm. Um, like this coin has been traveling for years since 1958 or something to reach this point this day, and now it is the most important. Uh, object in the world is the idea like on this coin your life depends that idea is fascinating it's something that's just like i don't know i come back and think about it a lot like this idea of of things carrying the importance of their future in them whether or not that's like like how true is that how in the thing is the action that's going to be be taken with it or the you know i i think that's a fascinating idea and like with anton chigur he seems to be a big believer in fate Right, like he seems to to be a big fan of that idea. That's um, his rule that leads him nowhere. What's that? <laughs> That's his rule that leads him nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Because he broke like, it. What? He broke it. Yeah. He so in the book, Carla Jean calls the coin. She gets it wrong. He kills her. In the movie, she doesn't call it. He kills her anyway. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We do. Because he walks out and he, he, he cleans shoes. off his shoes and looks at the bottom of his boots. I, I mean, that's, that is heavily implied, but it also seems to be... So a lot of those scenes with the coin seem to be like a real Schrodinger's cat moment. It could be or could not be. It is and it isn't. That is the nature of the coin at toss. At the same time. Yeah. But at, at the same time, almost. Like, the coin is and it isn't important at the same time in your pocket. It's just, that's the way it is. But... It, um, it, he yeah, did, and he didn't kill her. And I'm not sure if it really matters. Like he doesn't does. get he he gets struck because he gets struck, not because he did that action. Or no. maybe it's because he did that action. I think I, I I think I agree. Like it's it's a it's a it's both. Like both are the reason why he gets struck because he was fated to get struck. Yeah. Because he didn't kill her, and because he mm-hmm. killed her. Like all all of those are the reasons why he and, got struck. And also the same thing with Josh Brolin, like. He he gets shot because he slept with that uh, the lady at the pool. He gets shot regardless of okay. whether or not he sleeps with the lady at the pool. Oh, okay. I don't think he did. I don't like, think it, he got. Well, I don't think he got far enough because <laughs> he's dead in the was, doorway. Well, he's, and also, like, he's dead what, in was, his was Chagrin in uh, Sugar in the in the apartment? Like the image showed, or was he not? Like, there's always that sort of like he was and he wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, 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 wait. So, so in the apartment or in, in, or in the, the hotel, in the hotel room, room, he's he's in the next room. He's in the room next door, isn't he? It what really seems like he's right there. 
He's and right. There's I thought a he was shot right there. Him. And they're looking at each. I I know. I know. Right. Yeah. But I think wait. he's supposed to be in the room next door. Wait, wait. Are we talking? We're talking about Josh Brolin's character, and oh, so uh, Shiger is in the hotel room, right? They show an image of him when Tommy Lee Jones is right outside the door, trying to figure out what to do because he's seeing that the the lock is shot through. Yep, yep. So do you go in or do you not go in? Right. And there's a moment where he doesn't know whether or not Sugar is in there, yep. and, but it shows him in there. So is he actually there? I think they're, they're, I think they're playing with time there. Yes, they're showing that's what it at I thought times. it was. Yeah. They're, they're also using the Schrodinger's cat effect again. Like he is and he I mean, isn't. I mean, like, I mean but either using, way, using he's your theory. Th- I mean, using your theory. I don't think, I, I am not necessarily convinced that's what's going on. Like they're, so, they're but, showing it out of chronology and that could be for dramatic effect because it's very effective. Right. Like we've seen, we've seen them all go to the same place several times. Like there's that sort of parallelism going through each of their lives where they, they're following each other's footsteps. But mm-hmm. wait, when, when would he have been hiding in that room at nighttime and from whom before? I, I don't know. Like why would I don't he? Know. That's the thing. Well, okay, so so he walks into the room. Llewellyn Moss's death is very confusing. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so there's there's two doors. There's one right next to each other. And I think the idea is that like the girl from the pool is like in the in the in the room next to Llewellyn's. Because I, we know I, we know the one on the left is his because when This is a solo trip Tom, for you, Mike. Okay, so Ed Tom goes into the room at the end towards the end of the movie. He sees that like the lock's been blown out, and he goes and he looks around and he sees that someone has taken the vent or whatever. Yeah. Llewellyn's so favorite taken, hiding spot. Yeah. Llewellyn's hiding spot for shit. That is money. <laughs> um, <laughs> so someone has taken the uh, spoilers for No Country for Old Men, by the way, and all of these movies. Just, just continue. Just, just, oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's taken, taken off the vent and there's a coin. A coin. There's a coin? Has, spoilers. Yeah, a co- spoilers. Uh, that that like has unscrewed all of the screws for the vent. Right. So that means that Shigur has been there and taken it away. He's gotten away with the money. Shigur has gotten the money, which is kind of like we think is the reason why he's cared about this or something. I don't know. Who knows? Why does he care? Who's he getting the it's money his for? Job. He's killed the people. He was told to do it. He but gave his word. It I doesn't. Heard. It doesn't matter whether the people are dead. Yeah, it doesn't that. matter. Now, now he has the money. I don't know. He said he had to do it, so he did it. Yeah. He kept even his even word. though he had to kill. Oh, also Cohen Staple. The guy who who calls Carson Wells originally, that's Steven Root. Nice. Who's in like almost all the Cohen movies. Mm-hmm. He always plays like a weird little like bureaucrat dude. dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. So so Shigura's been there before. Ed Tom Bell's been there. Yes. But like, why would Shigura have been hiding in the corner of the room? It might be an implication that he's the one that killed Llewellyn. Or Llewellyn was killed by Mexican gangsters. We don't know. At least, I, at least I, I'm maintaining that I'm just not sure. And I think maybe the movie's also saying, does it matter who killed him? I know. It's one of those things I try not to get frustrated by. Like the, the final plot pieces of the final 20, 30 minutes of the movie. I'm like, I try not to get annoyed that I don't know what they are. <laughs> um, at least some of them. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh, a really brave thing for the movie to kill its protagonist off, um, yeah. off screen. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, sorry, I know you hate the Schrodinger's cat veto, but going back to that, I don't, I don't hate it. I'm just not, I'm not convinced <laughs> that that's what they're doing. That's all. He doesn't know if it exists or not. 
<laughs> There's an irrelevant. So what Schrodinger, I guess it's trying to point out a, a, an irrelevance here. Whether or not Sugar is in there or whether he's not, after this moment, the, the sheriff is going to retire. He's going to effectively kind of be facing death. Either either physically from, from Sugar, who's going to blast him in the face, or or he's just going to stop being who he is from now on. And so, like, it's almost irrelevant whether or not he's in the room. Two universes bleeding into one. Yeah. I, I like, I, I agree with the irrelevancy. I, I really do. Um, that's, it, that's how I that, feel. That's, when I say the Schrodinger's cat, that's usually what, I, what I'm thinking that they're doing. They're trying to make something seem like it's relevant and be irrelevant. But that's also why I disagree that, that he's getting hit by a car at the end. Because of, because I I don't think it's because of murdering. Um, he necessarily because killed he the woman, although I do think it's very likely. I just think that he broke his rule, and that's that's what's happening. Is that fate is which he has been a tool of. He has because she makes the point right. It's not the coin; it's you. You're the yeah. coin, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. makes him choose, and he chooses to kill her. And so by becoming that, by not using the artifice anymore, I'm thinking he breaks the rules. And that's the only yeah. real way that I can explain why the way that makes sense to me thematically of why a car would hit him and but, then him still yeah. survive. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems so random that there's something that I would like to impart meaning to. I see a thread. I'm not saying it's that, but I'm just yeah. like, it seems it, it seems like it could mean something in, in, a, in a in a movie and not real life where strange things happen for no reason all the time. In a movie, they just seem to be connected, right? Especially you know. to the guy who like never has accidents. Yeah, like nothing bad. Happens. Everything goes well, really okay. well for him. One yeah. bad thing: he does get shot. He does get shot in the leg, and he has to like do, do yeah. a whole bathing ritual and that sort of thing. It's bad true. things do happen to this guy, but he recovers well, very quickly. But that's like that's not like act of God bad thing. That's like he was yeah. doing something to someone, but and they affected him. But even minimal, kind of has. Like, I think he thinks that his rules are better than everybody else's rules, so he's kind of above them. But we all know he's another human being. Yeah, Fate yeah. is going to screw with him just like it screws with literally everybody else. But it, but it makes sense that if he's exchanging gunfire with somebody that he would get shot. It doesn't make sense that in the course of the movie he would just be randomly hit by a car. You know what I mean? But like, it, one it also, has a direct causality and the other one doesn't. But it also doesn't make sense that the, the, well, it, the gas station it, dude would... Be given a coin by that guy. Well, it just seems like he does it to most people. But it doesn't make sense that that happened to the guy, right? If you it doesn't look make at sense who to the happens guy. to, it never makes sense from their perspective. He's just yeah. like, yeah, some guy just gave me this coin and said, I shouldn't put it in my pocket. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what I want on it, yeah. but I guess I want a coin. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how much further we could go into this without it taking a lot longer. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like he's the like yeah yeah I I kind of I kind of dig the Schrodinger's I don't like using the term Schrodinger's cat very often but but I I, I kind of like the idea that it's like it's an both and not an either or. Hey everyone, jumping in real quick to tell you about something I'm personally very excited for. It's Sir's Furniture, S I double R S Furniture. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, then you know about Sir. He was. We did the, the crossover with the uh, Before Sunset trilogy. He's been on a couple of our episodes. I've been on a couple of his. Um, he's a dear friend, and he happens to make, besides a fantastic podcast, beautiful 
custom made wood cutting boards of, of whatever flavor of wood you want in whatever kind of design you want. It's, it's beautiful custom work. And with summertime coming up, I know that I'm going to be out barbecuing. I'm going to be out going to birthday parties. I'm going to be going to a couple of weddings and it's sometimes hard to pick, you know, what to give somebody, uh, what to give a friend of mine. Sir's Furniture is your one-stop shop for cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters, anything that you can really think of that is handmade, handcrafted, and designed woodcraft. You've been using a small plastic board for years. You know you have. Or, you know, take a look in your kitchen at those dried out twigs that you call cutting boards. And go to sirsfurniture.com, S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash NYFM and check out the wide selection of beautiful handcrafted wooden cutting boards that are on display there. Now, listen, let me tell you a little bit ago when Mike welcomed in his third child to the world, um, Jesse and I banded together and we we pitched in on, on one of the big Bertha, I think it's called the Martha of the, the cutting boards. It was big, it had a nice channel around the side and we put Mike's last name right in the middle and this board was gorgeous. I was upset that I didn't have Mike's last name so that I couldn't just keep it for myself. It was the single most beautiful cutting board I've ever seen. So that whether you love to cook, barbecue, or just need that perfect gift, Sir has what you need. So for 10% off, Use our link, Sirs Furniture. That's S I R R S furniture.com slash N Y F M. That'll tell him that we sent you. I, I guess that kind of launches us directly into likes and dislikes, though. Yeah. Is yeah. That, there's a lot in this movie you didn't like, Jesse. Yeah. Well, I, well, it's because I'm, I'm talking about the line of reasoning that I'm, that I'm talking about. Like, it just seems to be sort of like, Everything is kind of meaningless. It's just like there, there is fate or there's not okay, fate. Yeah. Does it even matter if there's fate or not fate? I don't, I don't know, know if it does. Like, does meaning have meaning? And maybe that's stretching it far, a little I, too I, far. I, um, I kind of disagree with the idea that this movie is about fate. Like, it is sort of. It's sort of about how like things travel. Like, like the idea that like things are going to happen in when they do in a certain way or something like that. It's sort of about that, but I don't think that there's anything in this movie that says that Llewellyn Moss is going to die uh, at the hand of like the, the Mexican bandits oh, yeah. or all that it's saying is that he is going to die. Each of these characters is having an encounter with death from which they will not return. Like I, that, yeah. that I think that's more what it has to say is that like, this is coming. There is something coming. Um, yeah, it is unstoppable, yeah. and at times, the face of that is Anton Chigurh, this this serial killer, this insane serial killer who plays with with bad philosophy and is not consistent with his own uh, principles that he's used to uh, as sort of a uh, a tool to make himself like like this this badass guy, right? Like this and badass killer. Yeah, except the, the you know like. At the end of the day, like he is also a man. He he is a coin. He is he is the coin. He is the lucky or the unlucky coin. Generally unlucky, but at the end of the day, he's just a coin. Like at the end of the day, he will also get lost uh, in the sands of time um, and be forgotten, despite yeah. all the people that he's killed. 
Right. I think that, and, that has is more what this movie is talking about and what it's saying with this character than about like, oh, life is meaningless. It's not saying that. It's saying that that once you get to be an old man, like once you get to that age, you can no longer like you can no longer be Josh Brolin, who is fighting tooth and nail to keep this money and save his family, like bring his family somewhere safe. That's what you and I were doing. We're, we are Josh Brolin, right? Like, like that's that's what we are. And there's this but, unstoppable force of of like to get super like sad. Like we're all gonna die, guys. Like someday yeah. that's gonna happen, and we don't really have a say in when that happens. We have some say, but but it's coming. There's a storm coming. And and that's the fact of the matter. And it takes someone with guts and and almost a like a, a, a almost false hope, someone who's young to fight against that tide and to try to 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 throw themselves against it. In the end, I, no one succeeds. Yeah, there's something there's something that I've that I've really loved about this movie, and it's that for whatever reason, when I see Josh Brolin and Tommy Lee Jones in the same movie, they feel like different ages of the same person. Like jo- yeah. Josh Brolin looks like a younger Tommy Lee yeah, Jones. So true. And I think that really plays into these characters where you are rooting for Josh Brolin, right? He's, he's just this, you know, kind of country guy. He's out hunting and he happens upon all this money and who wouldn't just try to take it from or a, you know, drug deal gone wrong. And just like, I'm just going to take the money and run. And he's, he's extremely. He's capable. Like capable. He, exactly. He's, he's doing a good job. Yeah. Way better than a, I could. I'm pretty sure he's a veteran. Yeah. And that's, that, that's the thing that Tommy Lee Jones points to, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's seen the same things that I, I have and sure had an effect on me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that's why I almost see it as like Tommy Lee Jones is the old man and Josh Brolin is the young man. And the young man has his, has his hopes, has his goals, has, like has ambition and has a purpose. And then Tommy Lee Jones is kind of the, like the old man that's coming to grips with the evil in the world and, and seeing, you know, yes, there is a nihilism that he's coming to grips with, but I don't think that it's saying the correct response is despair. Like he's struggling with the despair. He's struggling with how do I react to this? But I, I don't think the message of the movie is it's all hopeless. I think it's a it's a grappling with that that temptation of hopelessness that I love about the movie. And and I, I think that's the strongest thing for me in this movie is these two different men showing almost like two different periods of the same life and, and their different responses. And and yes, it is dark, like Josh Brolin dies off screen we don't even get to see his death and it's it's extremely like almost disappointing at the end you're like i i wish i'd seen this go down like i I, there would have been some sort of catharsis in seeing the protagonist get gunned down even if that was the end but it's it yeah it's it's a difficult movie i don't i don't pretend that i understand it all or that i i i think it's a movie that i will grapple with my entire life and I hope that as I get older, maybe I'll understand it better. I, I, I don't think it's a movie I I understand 100% or ever will understand 100%. But I know that it's a movie that I I will grow by considering it. I will like, 
understand the world better by by grappling with this movie. If I can, um, if I can jump in real, just, I'm going to give you the floor, Jesse here, but I think mm-hmm. that unless we have something more to say, we yeah. really should move on to another movie. Yeah. I know Jesse, okay, that's what I was for I know, a long I know time, we should. I agree but you. did you have, Sorry. did you have, you were trying to break in for a while. Did you have a last thing that you wanted to say to kind of close the book? For now, maybe in next episode, we All can right, reopen great, it great. a little. For now, like really quick for that, I guess I'd say, I guess I saw like fate in random chance. It's kind of almost equaling one-on-one and that I saw like fate, like the way the plot worked in the movie kind of being really chaotic and just one thing causing another that if you look at it from the character's perspective seemed to be like their fate. It just turned out to be like nothing but random chance over and over and over again. And that is what that is my probably my biggest dislike of the movie. And I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. And we're going to have to go into it another time. Yeah. I'd um, like to, I'd like to jump into something really yeah, yeah, a fast yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. Likes. I, I want to talk a little bit about a couple things I really like about the assassination. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very okay. well cast. I think that a lot of the supporting characters get a ton of time that yeah. I would not have expected. Like I love, I love Sam Rockwell's character so much and yeah. I love the genuine humanity he brings that he seems like just a jokester until when it's just him and Bob and Jesse. And you really see that he's like, no, I joke to stay alive. He's like, breaking yeah. Down. yeah. I have him breaking. Ugh. He's like, that guy is so dangerous. You don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, at this point I have to do it to keep you and yeah. our whole family alive. Could you just stop, stop being such a little prick, Bob? Because yeah. I like that a lot. Something I really didn't like, and it only happened this time, the second time watching this. Previously, this was a five-star movie for me. Now it's a four-star, specifically because of the narration. Really? It, mm. The mm. narration is doing so much more work that I think the movie should have been doing as a narrative film. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it needed the narration, did it? I don't think it needed it. And I think like, with a few more scenes, a little bit more dialogue from people, we could have gotten yeah. where people were emotionally without having him saying like, and then Jesse was very sad. <laughs> yeah, I will say but, at the very yeah. beginning, the intro to Jesse with him saying like, you know, the, the wife would report on the kids after rubbing her hands on her apron. And then the kids felt the sting of his mustache and, and knew his love that way. Like that oh, was, that was a really cool introduction. And I felt yeah. like I got multiple facets of Jesse's personality within two minutes. And that was really cool. But after that, it's like, I don't need to know that his brother went off and like found the report on him like days later and was distraught. After. Like I kind of, I would have guessed that. Right. Yeah. Like I don't need to be narrated that, that, that was just. So yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the narrator was a weak point for me too. I think the point of it was like, I know the point, it, and I disagree. It's Casey, it's Casey Affleck <laughs> who's narrating, right? Is no. it? No, who's narrating? The editor of the film. Oh, the editor. Oh. So one interesting yeah. thing when I was like reading reviews about this movie and a bunch of people commenting on it, one thing people generally love is the narration. Like I saw comments, and again, this is the internet, so you can find anything. But people were saying this is the best narrated movie of all time, huh. or this is my favorite narration in a movie. And I, I don't I don't know that that I don't know that I would come off nearly that strong, but I do think that the character of Jesse James is so complicated and and strangely portrayed and that the narration made me understand that confusion. And we can get in. I don't know if this is the time to get into this. I know Jesse. I, you I had just a think, about I just that, think if, if it had been written better then that would have been written into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this, this was adapted by a second time filmmaker based off a nonfiction book. 
I really think that if this had been in the hands of an actual writer, they would have found a way to translate a complicated real life person into a character that we could understand. Yeah. And Brad Pitt's more than game. He's oh, doing yeah. so much that is very oh. inscrutable, very good. But yeah. I just don't yeah. need a narrator telling me the thoughts behind his eyes when me mm-hmm. imagining those thoughts is so much more impactful. Yeah. Uh, one thing, like a nitpick. I got a nitpick. He he doesn't blink more than other people. No, they he said doesn't. that. Yeah, they specifically said that. I was blinking. like, oh, and and like that's really it's interesting. Like he's gonna blink a lot. Like yeah, he's gonna be like weird. he never like, does. Brad, okay. He's now okay. gonna have to blink this whole movie. And like that exact scene, he's just standing Dan, there. Dan, Dan's got a reason though. The arrow. Dan's got okay. a reason. All right, all right, all right. So, so my wife said the exact same thing. Literally, the scene <laughs> they are saying those words, she's mm-hmm. like, "He didn't blink a blink a single time." <laughs> okay, so here's my here's my here's my thoughts of the last few days after Ooh. Jesse posed the question of like, who the heck is Brad Pitt portraying? Like, who is this character? Okay, here's my thoughts. This is like shower <laughs> thoughts, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice, I think that nice. when you're portraying somebody that existed in history, generally they fall into two groups. Either one, you are Daniel you Day Lewis. <laughs> no, no, no. So one, you yeah. do like like Ben Hur. You pretend, you know, Jesus shows up many times in Ben Hur, but he's just like a contextual character. You don't actually see Jesus talk or do stuff. He's just in the background. He's in the backdrop, and you. <sighs> You kind of just like don't don't take a stance on how Jesus was, but you kind of have in the in the movie, right? That's a way of like avoiding any controversy. Mm-hmm. You didn't show the way Jesus talked and was, but he was in the movie. The other way is to take take a stance. You say this is how this character was, or at least this is the way that I think that they should be portrayed to be compelling in the movie, and that's like the Social Network, right? Mark Zuckerberg is very much not how what's his name adam uh jesse eisenberg or uh um jesse jesse is jesse eisenberg yeah how (laughs) sandberg (laughs) sorry i always confuse this uh i know yeah yeah yeah. how he how he portrays him like that's not a true depiction but it is such a compelling depiction Mm -hmm. and it's it like i love that movie it's it's an incredible biopic so you can do one of those two things. You're like, I take a stance or I don't take a stance. And the and there's a third option. And there's only one other movie that I think does this. And it's they try to show the complexity and confusion of our knowledge of this person. Like so much of what they say in the narration is conflicting. It's like he was this. He was a great husband and a great father and a great this. And he also murdered 17 people. And he also did this other stuff. And he was like, I, I read part of the book and it talks about like he dabbled in um, sorcery and he was very superstitious. And he like, and they show this in the movie, right? He's standing there, Jesse, you were mentioning like with the the steam and he's like this legendary hero. Mm-hmm. And then literally like 30 seconds later, he's holding a gun to somebody's head and somebody's like, don't shoot the guy. He's just a random guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a psychopath. It's like he's a legend and he's a psychopath and he's a great father and a great husband. They say that he never cheated on his wife. And you're like, wait, what? Who, who is this guy? Right. And it's like the and, and I said there was only one other movie that I think did this. And it's um, or that I can think of that did this. And it's uh, Jersey Boys. 
the way that Jersey Boys, the that movie. not something I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Out of left field there. This is out of left field, but this is the only <laughs> movie that came to mind because they, they, they tell the story from four different perspectives and they are actually conflicting perspectives. And it's a very jarring and actually, I don't even know if I liked the movie, but it did something that I'd never had seen before, which is it showed four different perspectives that did not line up at all. And it left you totally confused. And that's how I felt at the end of this movie. And I think it, I think it has a point. I don't know that it's a good way to do things, but I'm just saying, I think it's like a third option for, Hmm. for, for telling a story where you have vastly different knowledge about this character and you're not really sure who they were in real life. It's, it's like you're, uh, you're, um, you're questioning the historical record. In a yeah. Way. Yeah. You're like you're, you're like, you're presenting when the historical, historical records historical don't record line up. Like, this is yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's in. Yeah. And, and that was the only one. thing I noticed though, that like, wasn't, wasn't like the case. Or like the only thing that I noticed that like he didn't demonstrate was was like the eye blinking thing. Everything else I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, every time actually I'm gonna say that every time the narrator spoke, like trying to describe Jesse, and then I would see Brad Pitt's performance, I was usually like, Wow. It's actually just a lot more human than what's being described. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. Like it's a mythological figure and you're trying to hold true to this myth slash history that actually happened. And then yeah. trying to portray that on screen, like you, you're going to, you have to err on the side of, of human. A lot of the time. Yeah. Cause otherwise you get stuff like young guns and things like that, where yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have a gravity. Right. And this has so much gravity. Yeah. Um, and even just, to, just to, to echo what you said about the, um, space there is for all the characters in the movie i I really love that this movie like really sort of stunned me these characters are are like kind of the bottom of the barrel oh yeah they suck they they (laughs) suck as people they suck like their lives you don't get the sense that they had like especially good lives in in general Mm -hmm. and like they probably if they hadn't turned to a life of crime they might not be alive anymore right but even this life of crime like they're 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 cared for yeah, but they are not rich. Oh no, no, they're so poor. Yeah, their lives are tough. Yeah, really hard, and they've got like they they're trying. They're all like trying to. I don't know. They're all living in like one house. Yeah, <laughs> and they like they don't really like each other, and they like each other mm. less and less. Yeah, it's really interesting. But at the same time, like at the same time as you're watching these people do terrible things and be awful to each other, this is weird. Like, like humanism going on like this deep love of the characters that's being being like delivered especially with sam rockwell but with casey affleck this guy like this guy's a loser yeah this guy's a real loser he's a dreamer you know he's and he's dream- not good at anything he's not even good at dreaming to be quite honest like <laughs> like his dreams Wait, what's, are- what's what's brad pitt asking him? i can't tell if you want to be like me or if you want to be me yeah and he can't really answer that either yeah 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 fan worship yeah. Yeah, he can't even decide if he just wants to be exactly like Jesse James with Jesse James or if he actually wants to be the hero. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the worst kind of imagination. <laughs> okay, I, I got a question for y'all then. Does yeah. does Robert Ford work for you? Because me watching this for the first time, I, I was like almost actively cringing whenever he was on screen. So I'm like, oh no, it's going to be really awkward now. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, 
it was kind of tough, and I know that's how the movie is supposed to be, but like it made it a kind of uncomfortable experience. It's I'm very not sure what I felt about it. I was uncomfortable with every single one of these characters. I, every single one I of them honestly, made me feel bad. I saw so much of myself in, speaking of all three of our movies, and maybe to kind of shift to their open yeah, blood a little yeah, bit too, but yeah. I saw so much of myself in Bob, and I saw so much of myself in Daniel, uh, Plainview, um, in ways that as I'm getting older and dealing more with this world. This, and after you built country. your empire in oil. Exactly, yeah. and then just looking back upon all the, the people I've killed. Those who I've shot in the back of the neck while they stand on a chair. No, but the more I, I see, I see the cowardice. Um, I see the hero worship that I've done to people, and I and I've seen it the other way too. I've had people act like that to me, and it, it's it's just amazing that the more perspective I get, the more perspectives I gain, uh, the more empathy I think that I'm having in ways that I didn't really consider I would have them. I don't know. It's a very roundabout way of saying I saw myself as a coward. I saw myself as a as a ruthless man. Um, and I loved, I love Casey Affleck's performance because I think it's, it's so fearless. He's mm-hmm. such a shit. Yeah. He sucks so much. And Casey yeah. Affleck knows what he looks like. He knows he looks like this. His brother is one of the sexiest men alive. And, and he he's... has to live in the shadow of his brother. He has to live in the shadow of the actual Jesse James all the time. He's just playing himself. And I think that that's really incredible. Uh, I've never seen someone kind of dig that deep. And then his brother had to do it later on with Gone Girl, where he basically just has to play Ben Affleck in a movie and be humiliated for being that way. I think it's a, these these two brothers are are incredible in They're dealing both, with a lot of like Boston self-hate. So much shit that they're having to deal with in real time in front of us on the screen to make money. <laughs> I mean, at least they make a um, lot of money. I just deal with that in real time. I mean, I don't think Casey Affleck made a lot of money. For this. I don't think Casey Affleck made a lot of money for this. Oh, Vito. So, so watching this like now versus eleven years ago. Yeah. Like, have your views on on Robert Ford changed? I see a lot less of myself in him than I did eleven years ago. I'm gonna say mm. pound it. Huh? Way to go. Pound it. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I I wish I'd seen this eleven years ago, but I'm also really glad I didn't see it then because I might have seen way more of myself in that. It's, it's humiliating, honestly, thinking back on it and thinking back at just, you know, cause I was, I was fairly socially awkward uh, when I was 18 coming to college for the first time. And this man is so cripplingly awkward, but he's so deluded. He's deluded with, with the, the bravado of youth. Right. And, and over, over, he, he thinks more of himself because he thinks that he's so much like his hero. You know, you're the youngest mm-hmm. of three boys. I'm the youngest of five. You have blue eyes. I have blue eyes. You're five, eight. I'm five, eight. You know, We're like so all these similar. incidental things that he's like, I'm just like you. Can, uh, why doesn't everyone else see that I'm just like Jesse James? I'm going to be just like you. And, and he doesn't have any self-awareness as young men often don't. Yeah. So it worked for me because I've been that guy, <laughs> yeah. but that didn't make it like to your point. Incredibly awkward. So you said it was like super awkward for you. Like, does that mean it worked? Like, I, or d- well, did it not? The movie was trying to make it that way. Like, yeah, it's doing okay. that very intentionally on my end, I think. And yeah, it, it does work on that end, but it does make the whole viewing experience like less enjoyable. Like, I don't mm. really want to return to this movie for a while because I know what sort of scenes I'm in for, and they're kind they're. Like sitting there for two and a half hours plus with these sort of awkward scenes, it's kind of tough. It's 
Sounds like they're not good. Just just wait 11 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I will just wait 11 years. Like, (laughs) this seems like a movie where I will do that, and I'll watch the train scene every now and then to tide me over. (laughs) I have definitely seen the train scene more than twice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's, what about you, Dan? Did did the did the movie work? Did did the coward Robert Ford work for you? Are you a fan? Actually, yeah. My wife and I both were like kept commenting on it, like this is so cringy. <laughs> and and I love I've loved Casey Affleck for a long time. Yeah. I think he's he's great. He's not the most versatile actor, but when he's when he's on the screen, it's like. I buy his characters. I buy them a hundred percent. And I, I think he's really, really good. And good, yeah. I don't know. I love, I kind of love cringe. Like one of my favorite office episodes is Scott's tots. Like, An I, episode I, that to this day, to this day, I cannot finish. I've seen the office like 19 times. No kidding. Beginning to end. And every time Scott's tots starts, nope. nope. Next one. Nope. <laughs> Is it is it Scott's talks of the dinner party? Are those your two favorite episodes? Yeah, I, I love mean, the dinner parties. Dinner, dinner party, party everybody loves. Epic. But Scott's tots, like you've got to you've got to buy the cringe. Like well, that's well, you got balls of steel. Wait, wait, wait. Right? That's, that's the one where the kids he promised to send to college, right? And he can't. Yes, and he has to tell them to their faces. Oh. <laughs> he, and he's like, he's and like, then, what do you need for college? You need a laptop, and I have laptop batteries. <laughs> <laughs> it's so painful. And then, and then uh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Anyways. My favorite is just Stanley laughing at him <laughs> the whole time, like <laughs> so joyful. Oh, that's so awesome! All right, so uh, I, real quick. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Finish your point. Finish your point. No. So, anyways, I was just gonna say that cringe works for me, and whether it's in a humorous way or in a dramatic awkward to me it was so relatable i guess you guys like what you were saying it was real to me this is a character that is portraying a real human experience and and so for me that was sold even if it was Mm -hmm. hard to watch i agree it was hard to watch i just think that it was a a, like something i i was like yes this is this is a person i've met this is a person that i've been and I, i i i will appreciate that for that yeah, yeah yeah i i i think it definitely worked for me too i i loved it i actually like i didn't watch this one with my wife and i'm really regretting it and i'm really looking forward to watching it with her i really want to see I it think she dig it i think she would love this movie yeah. actually i watched uh both uh no country and there will be blood with her for the first time in our marriage uh just this week and i was like you don't understand me now <laughs> but you will understand me when these movies are over and he's like who did i so after i watched no country for all men it's been like 10 years i i went to bed i i had the best sleep of my life like (laughs) like i slept so soundly i was like yes this movie is true good night (laughs) (laughs) and i slept so well i haven't slept that well in like 10 years there's the bible and there's no country for all men you know truth unveiled okay one last thing that i really really that really worked for me in these three movies on on there will be blood I, I did, um, actually wanted to do a speed round of that. Yeah, yeah, speed round, speed round. Something that really worked, something that I really loved. The silence for the first 20 minutes, Jesse. The yeah. silence <laughs> for the first 20 the minutes. Silence. The Perfect. silence is, you need it. Perfect. It's a prologue. <laughs> it's a prologue, and the movie starts when he starts talking. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, so just to set you up yeah. as you so know what great. a 
fucking badass yeah, he is. It's so great. He hauled himself with that broken leg out of the fucking mine he shaft. Hauled himself with a broken all the way, leg all the way to the silver place. I don't know yeah. how he did it, but I it didn't work did. for me the first time I saw it. But this time, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Yes. yes. It was so dramatic. It was amazing. I loved it. I, 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 th- I think probably it was a little long the first time I saw it too. Yeah. Like, so you like? That really worked. One, I have nothing. One thing you didn't. Dis- one thing you disliked. Nothing. Okay. I I dislike nothing about this movie. It's perfect. Everything about it, I love. I dislike nothing from from There Will Be Blood. Wow. Wow. I I thought yes. I thought that you, this was the movie you didn't like. I did. Too. I was like for sure Jesse doesn't like this movie. No, There Will Be Blood is this is a perfect five out of five. Wow. You, you got it wrong. Just v, Vito was saying that he thought that you wouldn't like this one because it's messy as, yes. as all hell. Uh, it's not as messy as No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men is super messy. Oh and I really don't think, I think it's the, I think that, I think it's flipped. But I mean, this just I'm, goes to show that like, collaborators still can is, surprise you after this years. Is, yeah. This is a beautiful <laughs> moment. Oh, there, there Will Be Blood is a nice, it's like, it's a chronicle of this yeah. guy's life and it, it has like a nice beginning and end to it. I sort of said that I thought that you would like it, so I'm gonna say I no, was right. You, you um, did it. You did it so Dan, soft. Dan, your turn. What did you like and dislike, or and, and or? There will be blood specifically. Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, what's one thing? Speed round. Okay. I I loved the. I mean, honestly, I just love everything about it. I don't even know if I could critique anything. This has been a five star since the first time I watched it. It's the one I've seen the most, and I I love every scene of it. It it felt slower and longer this last time I watched it, but I've seen mm. it like eight times in oh, the last ten years. Yeah. So I watch it a lot, and I yeah. my love for it has waxed and waned. And I it'll it'll be a movie I continue to watch. Yeah, I love it. I don't I don't even know if I have anything to critique to be honest. That's awesome. I don't it's either. in your top four, right? It's in both of your top four, isn't yeah. it? I, yeah. It, it, it falls in and out of my top four. On Letterboxd. Four frequently. On Letterboxd. Yep, yep. For sure. Um, I think we should kick the next question to next episode. I agree. we're at an hour ten. I agree. And I, need and I think to take we a need break. a break. So sorry to you listeners who have been holding on for dear life. Are they going to say it's a dad movie or not? Ah! We're going to talk about whether or not we're going to see it. Show it to our kids. We're going to talk about that next time. It's getting late. We need a little break before we come back for episode three, where we get into the real meat of the movie because we didn't do that. Yeah, as if we haven't episode. done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, I guess next next episode is going to be There Will Be Blood and, and Assassination. I don't know. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. Uh, from all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Mike. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Movies. Please let us know what you think about movies and our discussions on our Twitter at NYF Movies on our Not Your Father's Movies Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram or email us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This podcast has cost us a lot of time, effort, and money. Please consider contributing and we will start sending you monthly newsletters, our bonus WhatsApp episodes, and even an NYFM mug. We hope to hear from you soon. Lastly, thank you to Max Augers for our awesome theme playing right now, and to Andy LaFave from Don't Dance for the remix that you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thanks again for listening to Not Your Father's Movies.